Welcome to Radiant Church Podcast. We want Jesus to be the message in everything we do. We are those who look to him. So Lord, we thank you for today, God. We, we just focus our eyes and our attention and our gaze on you this morning because you are worthy of it all. We love you and we pray that as your word is taught and we open up the Bible to see what you have to say to us this morning, that our hearts will become alive and they would burn inside of us because we've spent time with you, Jesus. We love you and everyone said amen. 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 All right, so I have a question. Who can do a backflip? Can anyone in the room do a backflip? I'm not going to make you. This is just, I'm asking for just, I'm not going to make you come up here and do a backflip. Can anyone do a backflip? Okay, just Caleb Hickey, I feel like you're lying to me. Anyway, so so here's the deal. I was 21, I was 22. I wanted to learn how to do a backflip. I could never do one. And my friend has a boat. So we were on a lake, we were on the boat. And I was like, determined today, I am going to learn how to do a backflip. So I kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. So after like 25 minutes of trying to do a flip and failing miserably the entire time, he looks at me and he goes, I think I know what your problem is. And I was like, what, what am I doing? He's like, you're turning your head. And I was like, well, what does that have anything to do with turning the backflip? Like, he said, no, 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 you have to keep your head straight. If you keep your head straight, your body will just naturally follow your head and you'll be able to do a backflip. So I took his advice and about three more tries, I was turning backflips. I wasn't landing them because that's not happening, but I was in the water successfully doing a backflip. And it dawned on me that the most important concept of the entire afternoon that I learned was this, is that where your head goes your body will naturally follow. And I think what happens is that's not just a spiritual reality or a a physical reality, it's a spiritual reality as well. Because where our head goes, our body and our actions will naturally follow. You know, David says it like this. He says, convictions lead, feelings follow. Our thought life leads, our, our beliefs lead, and everything else follows. So there are moments that we have to adjust, tweak, and look at the way that we're thinking and adjust it so that our actions and our lives can align with our actual beliefs. You guys tracking me this morning? All right. So here's the idea that we have to get is that when Jesus says that I'm king, we have to choose to align our actions with that thought process. Because here's the idea. Here's the big idea. That there's two competing ideas in our thought processes about Jesus. It's that he is our savior, right? And he is. He is our savior. He came and he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins. He did all of that. He has purchased our redemption the way the Bible says it. But he is also, the Bible says that he is a future coming king. He's returning. So our thought process gets kind of pulled between these two seemingly competing ideas of past savior and future king. The problem with both of those, in my opinion, is this, is it neglects the present. We're constantly looking back to Jesus, the Savior, or we're constantly looking ahead to Jesus, the future king. But there's not one moment in all of history that he stopped being the king. He's still the king, even here, even now. He's still at work on the earth in Romans chapter 1. It actually says that he's, he works all things for the good of those who serve him. Present tense, he works. He's doing work here and now. And when we grab a hold of that truth, that he is our current king, that he is at work on the earth, our lives change. 
Because we're forced to come to the point where we say, if he is currently the king, if he is the king of the world right here and right now, what am I going to do with that truth? Will I bend my life around it? Will I become obedient to Jesus? Jesus said in the book of John, he said that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So there's this inherent link that Jesus says, if you're going to love me, if you love me, you will obey me. And that's a truth, that's a reality that we have to, we have to wrestle through and we have to really grab a hold of because our following Jesus, you and I, 2017, following Jesus in Overland Park, in Kansas City, Kansas, the determining factor of how well we're doing in that is how well we're obedient. And if we only look at Jesus as the Savior who is giving us the gift of salvation or the future king who's not here quite yet, obedience kind of becomes an option. We relegate Jesus to kind of a spiritual consultant instead of the king. And if he's a consultant, here's a working definition for a consultant. A consultant, just in case, so we're all on the same page, is someone who gathers information, they're going to present their findings to you, and then you're left to make the determining decision on if you will follow their recommendations or not. Very different than a king. So, and there's a story in the Bible that I love that I think illustrates this probably better than most. It's found in Mark chapter 10. It's in verse 17. It starts it up. Now, maybe in your Bible, on top of this, it's going to say the rich young ruler, and we'll get there in a moment. Mark 10, 17, and as he, he, this is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. And he said to them, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So we have this man, we have this rich young ruler as Matthew and Luke call him. And this is this really unique interaction with Jesus in this moment. It's, first of all, he ran up to Jesus and that was like a massive societal, like, no-go. Do not do that. Do not run in public. It's embarrassing. It's distasteful, especially for grown men. I mean, because let's be real. Have you seen your dad run? That's embarrassing. Don't run in public. Like, just stay there. Just let, we can walk. Unless it's an emergency, don't run. You know, it's like that moment. And then he's also coming up to Jesus with this, like, very specific question about eternal life. Now, I think about this. Now, this guy is the rich young ruler. He's this young man, and he's running up to Jesus with a very pointed question. As if, like, he knew what he wanted to ask Jesus before he ever saw Jesus. You guys ever have those moments where you're like, oh, man, if I ever meet this person, I want to ask them this. 
I had a friend who um, was at a pastor's conference, and uh, Dr. Youngi Cho, who pastors the largest church in the world, was at that conference. And he was like, I remember hearing the story from him. He was like, I am going, if I meet him, I'm going to ask him this question. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, he saw Dr. Cho, and he ran up to him, this very similar story. He ran up to him and said, here's my question. And it was the most awesome response ever. And his response was, well, just pray more. He was like, that, that's, that's what you got. Like, I ran up to you from across the conference and you told me to pray more. He was like, I guess that's the actual answer then. Because if Dr. Youngie Cho is telling me to pray more, that's what I need to do. So it's this moment that he runs up to Jesus And he's asking him this very specific question. But the weirdest part about this whole interaction to me is this, is that we never find out his name. All we have on this guy is rich, young, and ruler. Now, why that's unique is because so often in Jesus' interactions with people, we find out what their name is. Powerful people, there's Pontius Pilate, there's, there's Jairus, there's Caiaphas, the high priest, there's over and over again, Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector. We see these influential people, Nicodemus, we see all of these people who are named when they interact with Jesus if they're powerful. But it's not just the powerful. On the flip side, we see the poor and the marginalized being named as well. We see Bartimaeus, we see Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see these people without the socioeconomic influence still being named. But yet here's this person known for all of history as just the rich, young ruler. His eternal identity is forged and founded around these three characteristics. All of his identity, rich, young, and ruler. And I think if you and I, if we're not careful, we allow our identities to be formed and and bent around these external markers instead of who we are in Christ. You see, we become the strong, silent type We become the person who will always work overtime. We become the realtor. We become the salesman. We become the contractor. We become these external designations. And slowly our identities become bent around that instead of who we are in Christ. All that does, the moment we allow our lives to take that bend all that happens in that moment is we begin living with a consultant mentality in regard to Christ. Here's what I mean by that. I mean the moment we stop allowing Jesus Christ to determine who we are, he can never be more than a spiritual consultant because we don't give him supremacy in our life. You know, I love verse 21 because Jesus, I feel like he just cuts through all of the externals. He cuts through it all in verse 21. He says, look, look at the verse again. He says, in looking at him, he loved him, and he said, you lack one thing. Now, that's a phrase this young man probably wasn't used to hearing. 
I mean, let's be real. He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. So that means he either had the finances to purchase whatever he wanted, or he had the authority to just take whatever he wanted. He was wealthy and he was in power. That's, that's two massive societal influences that he can pretty much get whatever he wants. And Jesus looks at him and says, you lack one thing. When I think of that phrase, it reminds me of Psalm 34. It says, those who trust in him will lack no good thing. Now think about that. Hold on. Think about that for a moment. Those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Jesus is the word become flesh, looking at this man and going, you lack one thing. If this young man lacked one thing, it was because he didn't trust the Lord. It it was because he didn't put his full trust, his full dependency in Jesus Christ, in in God. And because of that, there was a lack. You see, we can never fully trust someone we're not fully devoted to. If you're not fully devoted to something, you will never fully trust them. There is no one in my life that I trust more than my wife. There's not one person on this planet. I trust my wife more than anybody else. You know why? Because I'm fully devoted to her. So it's easy for me to trust her. When there's full devotion, trust comes easy. And this rich young ruler wasn't quite there yet. He wasn't there with his trust. He wasn't there with his devotion. I mean, think about the title he even gave to Jesus. He said, good teacher. Not Lord, not King, not even Messiah. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he was viewing Jesus through the lens of a teacher as a a spiritual consultant instead of a king. And because of that, there was always an option. There was always a choice of if he was going to be obedient to Jesus or not. You see, when this young rabbi named Jesus began to rise in fame, think about this for a moment. Jesus, right now, his life arc is he is bursting onto the scene. He has worked miracles. He is becoming more and more famous at this point. It hasn't begun to wane. There aren't the massive plots yet in his ministry to where they're trying to kill him and take him out of power. He's still on this upward trajectory of, of fame and influence as a young rabbi who's working miracles. So this rich young ruler says, that's the guy. I need to ask him a question. I need to figure out how to better my spiritual life. I need to figure out how do I live better under Roman rule? How do I serve God while we're under Caesar? How do I do that? What do I do? How can I grow in this? And all of a sudden, he walks up to Jesus. He runs to him and says, he asks him this question, hoping for an answer. And Jesus looks at him and says, you lack one thing. Bypassing his question entirely. Jesus was never one just to give out spiritual tips. Over and over again, Jesus will speak to the heart of the matter. You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Now, Jesus isn't against money. He isn't against fame. He isn't against power. What he is against is us, as you and I, deriving our identity from that wealth, from that power, and from that fame. I don't think the issue is the fact that this young man had wealth and had power. I think the issue is this young man put his trust 
in his wealth and in his power. I think Jesus was hoping to show him another way. I think Jesus was hoping to show him a path fully devoted to Jesus Christ. Seeing him work miracles, seeing him lead, seeing him teach. And when we become people who say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to relinquish control of my identity. I'm going to hold it open-handed before you, God. When we begin to release that, what it's saying is this, is that I trust that you're in control. That I don't need to be the determining factor in my identity. That I'll, I'll release who I am and trust you have something better for me. And as we do that, as we become people who, who are obedient to King Jesus, what happens is we shift. We go away from the, the consultant mentality and we begin to move into the king mentality. Because here's the deal. The sum value of your life will always be determined by how recklessly obedient you are to Jesus. When we stand before God, when we, when we leave this world, we stand before Jesus. The goal, the end game is for him to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. What is a faithful servant? Someone who has done all that their master has commanded them to do. Man, the end game is obedience on this earth. Our standing with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus is predicated on how recklessly obedient we'll become to him. And the more we relinquish our identity, the more we relinquish control of our own life, the more radically we can say yes. In Isaiah 66, 2, it says, The ones whom I will look with favor are the ones who tremble at my word. When Jesus is a spiritual consultant, there is, we don't have to tremble at his word because it's a suggestion, not a command. But when Jesus is our king, all of a sudden, the words that he speaks become commands that we hang our life on. And as we go there, we begin to live with the kingdom mentality, the king mentality, because it's obedience only. There's no other option. You know, let's face it, this young ruler, this young man, he was probably pretty famous, right? I mean, think about just what, to, what makes someone famous today. They're young, they're wealthy, and they have influence. This guy was the rich, young ruler. He had all the trappings for fame in any society. He had all of it. He had everything you would hope for to be someone of note. And yet here he is standing before Jesus and Jesus is telling him, I want you to sell everything you own and give it to the poor and then I want you to follow me. I think in that moment, there was some internal wrestling going on in his mind. Now it's Jesus telling me this. That's a big deal. Jesus is telling me to do this. He's telling me to sell everything, sell my possessions, and to follow him, to give it to the poor. What are my parents going to think? What are, what, are, what, are the, what are the bankers going to think when I begin to empty out my accounts? What, are, what is this person going to think when I sell the field? When, when, what is this person going to think? What is this person going to do? How are they going to react? What are, what are the reactions of my social circles? when I become fully devoted to Jesus. And I think there were some moments as, 
as he walked away, he says he walks away sad. I think there's, he's sad. I probably think he was a little frustrated. Potentially even a little offended that Jesus would ask him to do such a thing. How could Jesus ask me to get rid of all that? And I don't know the why in this. I don't know exactly why Jesus was asking him this, but I think the core of the story is this. Jesus is looking at a young man. He loves him, and he's asking him to give it up. We don't need the why all the time in our life. Some of the greatest moments of peace that I've ever had in following Jesus is the moment that I relinquish my need to find out why. But God, why did this happen? God, why is that happening? Why is this going on? Why is this circumstance or situation existing in my world? I'm I'm following you, aren't I? You're wrestling, you're asking the why. And Jesus is sitting here going, those who put their trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Trust me. You don't need the why in following me. You just need to know that it's me. And in that moment, as we relinquish our trust, as we relinquish our control, we get to see the miracle that's on the other side of obedience. But the tighter we hang on, man, I don't know about you, man, there are moments in my life where I am like white-knuckled. Like I'm holding on to this situation. I'm holding on to this circumstance. And I'm going, I have to fix this. I have to make this happen. I have to do this. In reality, Jesus is going, trust me, let go. Release your control. Hold what you think is so important to you with open hands and see what I do with it. It's that kingdom mentality that we trust the king. So a few years ago, I was working on this project, and it was a massive overhaul of this entire system that we used. So what did I do? I brought in a consultant, right? I was like, just like you guys would. I would say, my knowledge depth isn't deep enough on this matter, so I want to make sure that I think through all the processes. I want to think through the unintended consequences of changing this system. I want to go through this. So I found a consultant. I found someone who's an expert in that area, and I said, okay, hey, let's FaceTime. Let's set this up. I want to walk through this process with you. So over the course of about six weeks, we would FaceTime pretty regularly and we were going through all the particulars about our situation versus different ones and, and working through all the details. And then at the very end, he said, all right, here's the plan. Here you go. He emailed me the plan. So I said, okay, great. So I took it to my boss, right? Because it's like you have to get the boss's stamp of approval. You have to do that. I took it to my boss, and he was like, we can't do that. I was like, well, which part? Any of it. We can't do any of that. And I was like, Oh, glad I spent six weeks working on this project. Um, no, okay, so then, so then what did I have to do? I found another consultant. I said, okay, that plan's out the window. That one's not working, so let's make a new one that will work for us. So I found a new consultant, and I got a new plan. Now, why could I do that? Because the consultant wasn't my boss. You had no say in if I did this or not. His end game was to present me his idea of what he thought I should do. Like, just the very nature of that is comical. This is what he thinks I should do. 
Like, okay, what do I think I should do? I don't know. That's why I hired you. Anyway, so it's this moment where it's like, do I listen to the consultant or, or not? I chose not to. Why? Because he wasn't in authority over me. Consultants never have the final say. But when a king speaks, the decision is made. It's a reality that we have to live in. And when we're leaning in and we're following Jesus, if we view him as a consultant, he never has the final say. The moment he becomes our king, the decision's made. It's over. It's done. It's like Monopoly. Go ahead and pass, go, collect your $200, and move on to the next lap. It's, the decision is final when a king speaks. That's the heart we have to have. That's the heart we have to maintain. Because if Jesus is king, if this is who Jesus is, if he is the king, then we have no option but to, to humbly submit our lives to him. I mean, think about it. When we're wrestling with our identity, when we feel like people don't know who we are and the gifts that we have, if we trust Jesus, then we know he, he knows who's in his kingdom. He knows who you are. He knows the gifts that he's placed inside you. He knows the purposes that he's put inside of there because he is the one who did it. We feel like we're struggling at work with internal politics or, or backbiting or whatever it is that's happening at your place of work. All of a sudden, if we trust Jesus, we know that he protects those who are in his kingdom. It's the nature of a king. When we wrestle with our families and we're trying to raise our kids and you've got toddlers and it's just wearing you out because Come on, let's be real. Sometimes toddlers, they wear you out. I got two at my house. They're, we can trust that because he is king, he is expanding his kingdom, even in our children. When we trust Jesus, everything changes. And we can only allow him to be king in our lives when we fully trust him. Because his kingdom isn't one that's going to be shaken. It's not one that's going to come and go after a few years. It's been going on for eternity past, and it will continue to go on for eternity in the future. Look at this, Psalm 10, Psalm 10, 16 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. Jeremiah 10, 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. His kingship does not come and go. It will never waver. It will never change. It will never stop. The question is, the question you and I have to wrestle with, will we relegate him to a spiritual consultant giving us suggestions about our life that will hopefully make us more moral, good people, or... Or will we allow him to be the king of our life and give us commands to live by? It's that choice. I, I, that is the choice because when you're halfway in and halfway out, Christianity is miserable. But when you become fully devoted and you say, I am following Jesus, 
it is about to become the most exciting moments of your life. There is nothing better this world has to offer. It's King Jesus. There's a story that I love. I just feel like it contrasts this rich young ruler so, so, so poignantly. It's, it's this idea Jesus told this parable about this man. Again, we don't have very many details about this man. We just know that he was a man. He was out walking. And he stumbled upon this treasure that he found in a field. And the Bible says that he, he buried the treasure. He covered it up. We don't know what the treasure was. So now some, some gospels will say it's a pearl. Some will say it's just a treasure. Who knows what it was? But the reality is he found this treasure and then he, he buried it for a moment. And then it, he went out and sold it everything he had he got rid of it all what I wish I wish this was the story of the rich young ruler he said I have found something I am eye to eye with the greatest treasure I could ever hope to find in my life I am face to face with this amazing treasure so I'm going to give up everything so I can obtain this, this. He sells it all. He gets rid of it. He sells homes, land. Maybe he had to sell a business. Maybe he had to cash out his children's inheritance. Who knows? All we know is this beautiful three-letter word is that he sold it all. But then he got to buy the field. He got to see the treasure. The same social circles, the same people would be looking at this man, going, you've lost your minds. You're ruining your family. You're the subject of gossip, ridicule, and shame. And I imagine this man just going, y'all, you, you don't even know. I know what you're seeing. I know what you're seeing me do seems outlandish. It seems radical. It seems foolish. But on the other side of this obedience is the greatest treasure I will ever find. The rich young ruler walked away sad. It's not in the Bible, but I believe this man he walked away elated because he had just found something of so much more value than anything he could ever hope to possess the reality is is he a consultant giving you suggestions or is he a king giving you commands So I'd like to do this just for a moment. I'd like you to close your eyes just for a moment. See, when we allow Jesus to become king, we, see, we get to partake, we get to see his desires for us are so much greater than even our own desires for our own life. And I want you to know he has desires for your life, your specific life, your situation, your circumstances. What miracle will you see the other side of obedience? 
we could, let's just place our hands on our hearts just for a moment, just all together. Jesus, what are you calling us to, what are you calling me to obey? What areas of our lives have, have you relegated me, have I relegated you to being a spiritual consultant instead of the king? Is it with my job? Is it with my family? Is it with my friends? Is it my devotion to you? Where is it, God? God, I don't want to walk out of here. Don't let us walk out of here as, with Jesus as a spiritual consultant. God, let us walk out of here with Jesus as our king. Maybe that's a phrase you've never heard before. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never said, I want to follow him. And you've never said, you've never taken the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I'm telling you, this morning would be the greatest moment of your life if you say yes. And don't be like that rich young ruler. Don't walk away sad. There's the greatest treasure you can ever hope to obtain in this life, and his name is Jesus. So if you want to say yes to Jesus Christ, maybe this is the first time you've ever said yes. Maybe you're re-signing on that dotted line. You're saying, you know what? I said yes once before, but I haven't lived it. I haven't meant it. And I'm going to say yes today, and I'm going to mean it. I'm going to walk out of here different because of my devotion to Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer and just... This moment, let's just repeat this after me. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for not following wholeheartedly. Forgive me for my mistakes that I know I've made. Forgive me for the things that I did that I know I shouldn't have done. Today, I'm making you king. And I'm making you Lord over my life. So lead me, and I will follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give it up for the people who made that decision? Thanks again for listening. To learn more and to join our Radiant family, check us out on social media and online at radiantchurchkc.com.